0: To and what do you do? Ed here with a new guest for the episode, Harry. Harry is a designer, and we chat about the specifics of his work, but also design as a a discipline and uh, things going on in the industry. We recorded this while we were both in the UK, but there's a fair bit about Harry's work in Sweden as well, and uh, Indonesia too. Without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, well, it's a brand new episode and a brand new guest. But tell me,
1: who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh my name's Harry and um I'm a designer. And I guess in my industry you'd call me a multidisciplinary designer, which basically just means jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> uh but at the moment I'm I'm more interested in a specific material called rattan.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh rattan is this uh tropical plant they normally find in the jungles of borneo and in indonesia and it's been around for like over millennia a lot of people think it's um, bamboo when they see it in furniture so when you think of bamboo furniture it's normally rattan uh, right and it's something i've been working with for a while now it's something um i first worked with in 2010 during my bachelor's and, um, I, I stopped working for it for a while as I got a job in the industry and recently I've got back to it. So I'm experimenting a lot with it at the moment. So what drew you to this? I mean, is it the aesthetics? Is it
0: something mechanical about it? You're a designer. So, so what makes you pick on something like that?
1: Yeah. Well, um, at the time I was doing my bachelor's and, um, it was more of like a self-initiated project that we had to do. And at the time... There was this kind of eco-friendly uh, boom in design, and uh, people talking about bamboo a lot and at the time as well, bamboo furniture wasn't that popular you don't really find in in charity shops people didn't like the aesthetic of it they thought of it you know it was it's quite tropical colonial looking and it wasn't right. it wasn't very trendy, so I wanted to try and experiment with it and change the aesthetic language of it and to make it more contemporary. And then I found out when I was trying to look for the material that actually the stuff was rattan. And then I thought, Oh, what's that? And then I experimented and re- researched and, um, it, uh, it's this very eco-friendly material that grows over a hundred meters within a year, I think. And, um, it was very, it's a very interesting material It's incredibly flexible material. It's not hollow like bamboo. And the, the, it's very versatile, so you can you can create a lot of different shapes with it. So, and because it's so flexible, it kind of dictates the aesthetic of the furniture. Because normally it needs to be, for example, with wood you can get away with a very simple structure, whereas rattan needs to be underpinned. I uh, need to use more and more material to keep it from falling apart. Essentially, uh, so that it was quite a challenge. It was a challenging project for me to try and find. A more contemporary looking simple aesthetic using a very flexible material, so it's like taming this wild material so the pr- the project itself was
0: just the start of things, right i mean you've you've kept going so was, yeah, it, was going. it that you
1: sorry so the, so I, I i experimented a lot and then I came up with this uh, stool uh this triangular stool, and it's a very simple shape. And it was based on a triangle a triangle because it's the most structural shape. And I created this special joint called the splice joint, uh, which is kind of the opposite of what you see in this rattan furniture image, which is like they put a lot of bits of rattan together in order to create more structure. And the splice joint was like these two bits coming into one and morphing into one piece. Uh, and that was just like... Um, the end result of a few months of experiments and it did really well at the time in 2010 11 nobody had really seen something like this in the rattan industry to make it so simple and elegant and contemporary and then i wanted to develop that further but i i i was offered a job in the architectural industry and at the time it was really something i i thought i needed to do because i thought especially at the time it was 2 years after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, and to get a job in design was was quite rare. It was quite hard to do. So to be offered a job at uh, at a big place was um, was something I couldn't refuse. So I stayed there and tried to get more experience in a corporate company and in the industry, thinking in the long term that hopefully I'd get back to the rat and experimenting and and uh, revisit that project, which is what I did eventually. Uh, after six years of working, I, I I went to Sweden to do a master's in design to try and get myself back into the 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 flow of doing my own stuff, and then eventually I did this research course in craft uh, called Research Lab, and that's where I revisited rattan, and yeah, on and so forth, experimented more and more. Uh, eventually, sorry, I'm going on off on one. No, that's okay. Eventually, um got a grant to be able to go to Indonesia where this material comes from. And, um, yeah, I was there for a month, traveling around the country, researching, talking to craftspeople and producers uh, to learn more about the material, not just the technical ability of it, but also the kind of culture around it. Because, you know, it's, it's, Indonesia provides 70% or more, actually, of the world's rattan. So that's where, you know, this this old ancient knowledge comes from you know they've been using it for over millennia so it seemed like the right place to be to go ahead with this material and yeah i found a great producer out there who were quite ethical how they treat their workers and uh yeah i I, there were quite a few producers that weren't so great so i was really happy to find someone that shared the same ethical and eco goals that i wanted to achieve and i've partnered with them and started a, a brand called uh, Studio Boya and Boya is, um, is a Swedish word it means to bend which is the the most it's the biggest process behind the material so it seemed appropriate to call it that.
0: You said that um, people have been using this rattan for an incredible amount of time were they quite receptive to you as an outsider coming in to talk about new ways to do things or did you have to really persuade them
1: yeah, that's an interesting question um, because I, I did a quick collaboration with a British Rattan company who are like the last of their kind in, in, in Britain and one of the last of their kinds in Europe. And the craftspeople there weren't so receptive to, right. to me trying to introduce new techniques borrowed from the uh, sort of wooden manufacturing uh, industry. Uh, because they were quite proud of what they did, which is right, you know, it makes sense, really. You know, so, uh, someone's been working with this material for over 40 years, and then this young schmuck comes up and tells them, you know, why not try this? You know, and then they take it, they take it badly sometimes because they think it's criticism rather than a development. Um, sure. So that didn't go down too well, uh, but we tried uh but in in Indonesia it was they were a lot more receptive yeah they were because they they there's a lot of competition essentially and if they can stand out in some way then that's a bonus for them and to be honest if they can find new techniques then they will adopt it for their own work as well so so yeah it was it was um it was good to sort of introduce them introduce new stuff to them it wasn't that new it was just different different ways of um of uh of finishing. Because traditionally it's it's they try and hide joints. So they wrap the joints with rattan weave, which is the skin of rattan. So when you see woven seats, it's normally um the skin of this material. They normally try and hide the joints because it's all handmade this stuff, which is incredible. Like none of it is automated uh or mechanized. It's mostly still handmade to this day. Uh which is why the joints are really hard to get them perfect and i guess the style that i've taken is quite is a bit more precise looking i suppose than traditional stuff so it just means it's they need to be more precise than usual but they have a great reputation for being uh gifted at what they do so i think it was it was a welcomed challenge for them to show off what they can do best going back to design generally because i I guess
0: you wouldn't think of yourself necessarily as, and, and I might be using this wrong, but just a furniture designer, you have turned your hand to lots of different things. So I'm just wondering how you approach like a brand new project, or if you decided that you wanted to take on a brand new project of your own uh, making, how do you start? Because you you must have a sort of an an eye for creating things that, well, I would say that I definitely lack. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know about that, but I I think, um, I think design is such a generic thing, you know, it's, it's an ever growing multifaceted thing. Uh, and I think when I started the course I did was actually called contemporary furniture design related product design, uh, which sounds quite strange, but I, I would see myself more as a furniture designer, but the job afterwards, I was an industrial designer and, uh, did lots of different things. And I, I think it, it depends how one is in, how you're inspired so I, I might get ideas for for designs based on not just looking at, at at shapes or joints or whatever but based on terms or words even so like I, I did a project based on the word heritage, which was a collaboration with a museum in, 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 uh, in Sweden in Stockholm and uh, i was just fascinated by that term like uh, how how we we normally look at that uh, the term heritage and think it's something uh which is fixed in stone and from the past and stuck in the past but actually when you look into it more and more i mean the the idea of heritage is is you can look at it as something which is uh, ever changing you know it's not static it's ever it's up for interpretation and also like who decides what is part of your heritage you know who what what museums have a have a role these days to literally curate history and heritage you know we learn history based on some organizations and how they portray history so I thought I thought that was quite interesting Uh, so it's not it's not just uh, yeah you you get inspired by all sorts of different things I guess so uh, there's no there's no linear way of Of coming up with a new product or idea it's just whatever comes your way i guess you just have to be open to to whatever comes go with the flow and sometimes it might be a light bulb idea and sometimes it's something that piques your curiosity and you look into it a bit more so yeah it depends really so is it the case that say if a a, you know a a museum or or
0: some other sort of private concern let's say was to hire you as, as a designer do they go into it knowing that well, we're going to have a suggestion of what we'd like to. to I suppose maybe just the subject area. I, sorry, the, yeah, that, that was, was a that was a sort of waffly uh, question. I, I, I guess what I'm, and again, this is because I'm, I'm quite ignorant of it. I guess this is the difference between, say, getting a designer and getting an engineer who's, you, you know, yeah. concerned with the logistics of producing a particular thing. Do we, if you know, if I get to, if I want to hire you, do I come and say, hey, look, I'm interested in this sort of thing? And then I just have to accept that you might need a couple of days or weeks or months to go and have a think about it and then come back with an idea.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it can go lots of different ways. Uh, it could be a brief. You could be someone who, you could be in the museum, for example, in this situation I talked about, um, they wanted a group of us to, to look at their collection and come up with a body of work that referenced their collection and also your artistic practice. So that was quite vague and open. Um, Other briefs can be, there might be a big furniture brand or product brand, and they come to you and they say, ah, listen, we're looking at expanding our light, uh, lighting area and we, we need more pendant lights. We're interested in this kind of shape. Well, this, this product normally does well. In, um, in sales, so we, want, we want to expand on that. Do you have any ideas? Or, you know, there's there'll be some briefs are quite vague and some are quite specific. And then, yeah, it's your job to come up with proposals, I suppose. And each designer will have their own methodology around this. But um, normally, I guess, you come up with a few proposals based on what they said and some based on maybe what they didn't say but what your interpretation might be and then you present them to the clients and um and slowly progress from there then you have to re- refine it and and when you get to a stage where they say yes we like the idea we want to we will choose that idea then you start um talking about how you're going to be paid and the time scale of 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 the project and things like this so it really it really depends um me as a designer as well. I could I could approach a uh, a company or brand or museum if I have an idea that I'd like to expand, and it's very kind of open, really. There's some there's no such. I mean, there's some systems in place, but it's it's really up to you to I don't know come up with a system. I'd say.
0: Have you ever been approached for something where after a bit of an investigation you've you've had to go back and say, look, this just doesn't spark anything in me it doesn't speak to me at all i'm not the person or is it better to just sort of give it a go at something that your heart's not really in
1: i think you always well i think you always give it a go anyway to see i mean it depends how ridiculous the project is right i think right. um it uh if it's you always give it a go i reckon you always you always try and see what can come from this uh because you, you never know really what can come from it and even your first proposals can end up being quite different by the end after developing it so it's um try to think of an example that where you'd say oh no i can't do that it would have to be i don't know if someone comes up to you and says i want to design binoculars for a dog or something you know <laughs> something which is like oh, well that's ridiculous i'm not going to do that
0: i'd oh. give that, I'd <laughs> give that a go, i think <laughs> there would be something you could do with that yeah well let let me talk more generally then
1: uh, what's the most difficult part of your job well at the moment yeah as a designer or as what i'm doing because i'm i'm at the moment i'm becoming more of a businessman which is a shame because i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm developing a brand and sure. i've i've got to a stage where i've designed a few pieces for the brand and it's they're being produced and sold but but i'm kind of a one man army at the moment and so i'm subdivided into all these different jobs that i have to do like you know i'm the main accountant and the main marketing guy <laughs> i'm the head designer i'm the head sales guy for me right now is just how to run a brand or how to run a company uh marketing is is, is yeah is is uh it's harder than i thought let's put it that way um but what, what's the hardest thing that a designer could, could uh what situation i guess could they be in uh I think the problem is i'd say I'd say maybe not not a singular situation but i I can talk about the sort of where we are today in the industry, and I think the problem is traditionally a designer is is paid with a, a royalty check or or and a fee, so if a company approaches a designer. And they say, okay, I want to design a chair. I want you to design a chair for us. And you will get the industry standard, which is three to 5% royalties on sales. Right. And sometimes they won't get a fee for that, for a fee for your design time, or sometimes they will. But that industry standard is just becoming so hard for people to survive on because A, there's so much competition. And B, three to 5%, you know, you can't live off that. So that encourages this culture of maybe saturating the market, you could say, or for a designer to be constantly having to churn out new and new and new designs every year in order to add up the royalty checks to make a living, from right, which is something that I really wanted to avoid because I think it's a real, it's a real tough, tough career move to do that, you know, because only the best, or the most trendy studios or individual designers can really make a living from that and even then sometimes they have to go and teach uh, part-time to pay the bills so that's why I I wanted full control over the entire process which is why I decided to get my things manufactured myself take on that kind of responsibility so that I wouldn't have to worry about churning new and new designs, you know, and it's, I, I wanted quality over quantity. And we live in an age now where it's so, I mean, it really is the age of the entrepreneur, you know, especially with COVID that's just come in in the last year. It's kind of, it's really pushed people, I think, to think in different directions. Is the counter to that then that if you say become successful
0: with something in particular, you might be a little constrained by having to develop more stuff with a particular look, a particular aesthetic, because that, that itself becomes your brand. Is it sometimes maybe then hard to say, well, now I want to do something
1: completely different. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, um, and that's why I haven't really put my name towards the brand. So it's more, it's more an entity which exists uh, by its own sure. right, the studio boyer. And, and, I the idea was that I'd do that, and all my rattan stuff would be through the through that brand, uh, which is great, and I can have fun and experiment and play more with rattan. And there's also lots of different paths with rattan. I mean, I've I've recently designed a range of jewellery, which is rattan inspired, but it's rattan mesh, mesh which has been cast in silver and gold. So it's there's lots of different avenues you can you can go down. Another one will be Rattan Porcelain one day. So I'm kind of, um, I'm stuck with Rattan, but then you can think outside the box and and do a lot of different things with Rattan. But at the same time, I still have my own studio, which is separated from the brand. And my ideal situation would be that I run the brand part-time or well, full-time, but I also work on more Interesting or more artistic projects with my own studio, stuff that isn't just a product which is sold in that commercial context, but something where I develop, I develop a project with a local community in Sweden, for example, is another another idea that I'm wanting to to experiment with, or collaborating more with museums and yeah, doing more research orient orientated projects, I guess, rather than uh, commercial items. So it's, it's separate my work and my artistic practice in those two fields is the ideal situation for me anyway. (laughs) And
0: presumably, you know, if the studio then really takes off, you're going to, you would at some point have to take on other designers to assist. I'm kind of interested in how, how that sort of partnership feels like if you've ever experienced it before or what it makes you feel considering that possibility. I mean, if yep. you're if you're if you're working in say construction and you're building a house and you have to build it to particular standards and um, you know things are quite regulated, you could get different uh, bricklayers, electricians, plumbers, all sorts of things to sort of be working on a common goal. But when you're creatively designing something, and at that point you might have to share it, I'm kind of interested in in your thoughts about that sort of process.
1: Yeah, it's. Um... I, where where I used to work, it was a bit like that. So I, I worked within a team of designers and, um, it, it can be difficult. It can be, the problem about what we do as well is that it's so subjective. And I think anything right. with a creative, well, anything creative, I guess is subjective to certain points. So I think it, you've gone to a stage where you are uh, debating certain decisions you've made within a project. And it's really tricky to do that when you're dealing with aesthetics and proportions. I think because it's, it's, um, some people will have different impressions of what that means to them because we're all different. And, uh, even colors, you know, I remember debates and arguments even about colors. And it, you know, then it becomes more about who's the more superior person in the team, I guess, and they'll have the final say. But, um, I think. The interesting thing that I I, we looked into when I did my masters in Sweden uh, is what Sweden is kind of known for historically is this, or yeah, historically I guess is is this term called co-design, and that idea is more designing a product with the end user in mind, and it doesn't have to be a product. It can also be, I don't know, it could be like if you were if the local council were going to redo uh I was doing some urban design and redoing uh the roads uh, going somewhere you know it makes sense you'd think for the council to get the people who live in that area involved in the design process because they know that area better than other people do sure and so i think that's quite interesting co-design code where you get different people involved in the process because these people are part of the final product anyway so why not why not get lots of different people involved and see what people have to say from different backgrounds, from different disciplines? And that was something that was something we experimented with as well. Which was great. Which was, it was it made, it makes a lot of sense rather than this singular designer or this sort of mastermind for how people perceive them to come up with this product or this idea or this concept, you know, without without having that that input. I don't know if that answered your question or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it did. Um, I mean, we're we're almost out of time, um, but as always, I like to propose a daft idea um, to my guests. Sure. Well, it starts with some bad news, I'm afraid, because you're not allowed to be a designer anymore. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the bad news. But um, you are going to be allowed to do a different job. And I would like to offer you three different jobs, and I'd like you to tell me, which one you think is good, if any? Yeah. What you think would make you good at that, or suited towards it, or, or perhaps um, uh, you could go the other way and uh, tell me why you're not suited to particular jobs. Yeah. These are just pulled out of there. air. Um, you can't be a designer, but you could be. Uh, you can be a police officer. Okay. That's uh, job number one. You can be a DJ. Oh, okay. Any type of music you like. Uh, we'll maybe get into that. Um, or you can be an engineer. So you can't do any design anymore, but you can implement design. That's going to be my slate. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm quite curious about that one because I wonder if that would be, you know, particularly difficult because you're implementing other people's designs or whether because you're somewhat still involved in the whole pipeline. You...
1: Okay, but design still exists is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah Someone sure. else has designed something, but you're there really just to get it from uh, design through to uh, product.
1: Yeah, well, okay. I don't think I'd want to be an engineer, okay, because I've kind of done, I've kind of done something similar to that already. Where I used to work, sometimes I wouldn't be part in the creative process. I just have to implement what someone else has done. Uh, But but that's not what all engineers do, of course. I mean, engineers I think are are incredible designers in their own right, to be honest. But maybe engineers too close to what I already do. Um, Sure. So DJ or police, police officer. Um, yeah, I'd probably have to be a DJ, wouldn't I? <laughs> Tell me maybe why. Not, maybe, maybe not, actually. Maybe not. Maybe I'll be, all right, let's well, say police officer. What would make you good at that? Um, I, pff, I don't know. I don't want to sound uh, arrogant or anything, but I, f- I feel like I can connect with people. Also, you know, design—you try and you try and create a better life for someone, or you try and make the life either more decorative or more functional. Or, you know, the idea is that you share your creations with other people, and so I think that's that's quite important to what I do. People are important to what I do. So I guess being a police officer is that is another level of being intimate uh, with the people. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. But I guess I, I guess, it's out of the three, engineer is too close. Maybe DJ is also quite a creative thing. But police officer would be a, a different type of challenge with still dealing with people in some degree. Brilliant. I think that's a great
0: answer. Well, thank you very much uh, for speaking to me today.
1: Well, um, enjoy good. the rest of your day. Thank you very much, Ed. <laughs>
0: That's the episode, really. It and all the previous episodes are up on do UK and I always try and put a few other bits and pieces uh, for the episode, uh, that is to say links to related stuff the guests have provided, um, they go up on the website. As always, you can get in touch at and what do you do podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Very short outro this time, but until next time, take care, speak soon. Thank